0: You're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Econimopoulos. Hello there, I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's comedian Gareth Reynolds.
1: Uh, You know, I probably felt more comfortable standing on a stage than most people when they start um, doing comedy, but but improv and stand-up are... While I do see so many similarities now, at the time, like, they were so vastly different to me.
0: Great chat with Gareth. It's someone we haven't talked to before. Uh, Another one of those. So, uh, always excited to talk to somebody new. We have a song of the week coming up from the Ocean Blue. And, of course, we have a dumb bit coming up. And here is one from the archives, gang. Hello? Hey, Mike. do I sound like Mike? This is the third time you called. There is no Mike here. Mike. Idiot. Tired of phone calls from stupid people? Sign up for new Caller IQ. Caller IQ automatically displays the IQ of the person calling, so you can decide if they're worth talking to. Man, that girl at the club last night was hot. I wonder if she'd want to go bowling. K, pick up, you little hottie. Hello. Pick up. Caller IQ. It's the smart... Hey, Mike. <sighs> It's the smart choice.
1: First, there was vanilla Coke. Then, Pepsi jumped on the bandwagon with Pepsi Vanilla. And now, Pepsi is trying to rip off Coke in an even bigger way. Introducing Pepsi Coke. It's Pepsi with the flavor of Coke.
0: I haven't had Pepsi this good since the last time I had a Coke.
1: That's because the can says Pepsi, but the taste says Coke. Wow, Pepsi Coke is awesome. See, some 20-something gulped it down and said it was awesome, so it's gotta be good. And it comes in every possible variety. There's Diet Pepsi Coke 1, Caffeine-Free Pepsi Coke, Caffeine-Free Diet Pepsi Coke, Cherry Pepsi Coke, Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue, and Caffeine-Free Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue with Caffeine.
0: Wow, I had no idea the taste of all my favorite Pepsi
1: flavors would taste better with the taste of Coke. Take the Pepsi Coke taste test today and see if you can tell if you're tasting Pepsi or Coke, or both. Pepsi Coke. It's the Pepsi name you know with the taste of Coke you love.
0: Gareth Reynolds is a stand-up comedian who, uh, well, he has a lot of hats, actually, besides being a stand-up comedian. He does a podcast with Dave Anthony called The Dollop. He's written on Arrested Development, been on a number of shows, and in movies, and in a reality TV show, which he talks about. Here now is our interview with Gareth Reynolds. All right, man, well, it's uh, fun to talk to somebody new, you know, usually in many and Cincinnati where I write uh, mostly. It was get the same, seem to get the same comics kind of, you know, year to year, year in, year out. And once in a while we get some, some, uh, some new faces. had, had you been to Minneapolis before?
1: I've been to Minneapolis, yeah. Okay. I've actually, I've done stand up there just not as a headliner.
0: Oh, uh, okay. But, um, that would explain it.
1: I was at the House of, is it House of Comedy? House of
0: Comedy, mall, yeah, America? yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, so I was there uh, a few years ago, lived in the mall. Uh, for a few days, and then. But this is my first go. time coming as a headline. I'm from Wisconsin
0: originally. Oh, okay, that was my so. next question. I, I do the, the Marin thing. Where are you from, man?
1: <laughs> so, uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee,
0: Wisconsin. oh, no, like Jackie Cassian.
1: That's right. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. So, um, and but did you start comedy there, or did like a lot of Wisconsinites seem to go to Minneapolis to start comedy?
1: I sort of started... The, I mean, I, I started doing improv there. I started okay. doing comedy sports.
0: Um, oh, yeah, I remember I was, that.
1: Yeah, when I was pretty young, honestly. Like, when I was in high school. And then that... I, I didn't start doing stand-up until probably about 10 years ago. Uh, and I really started really doing it in New York. I was there for a job, and that's where I really started. But So I haven't... I'm not i am not really a very much of a Midwest comic. I've done a lot of gigs around the Midwest. Sure. But I, I really my teeth in LA and uh, New York, really.
0: So, growing up, were you a a funny kid and interested in comedy in that way? Did people think you were funny, or did you always want to perform? How did your interest in comedy kind of take root?
1: Uh, I did. I very early was, like, realized I had few skills and that making or trying to make people laugh was something I enjoyed. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I really did. I knew very early, like, I didn't really know what the hell it meant, but I knew that, uh, that I wanted to pursue entertainment or comedy in, in some way, you
0: know. So, did you go the school play route and all that kind of stuff, or what? How did you? Uh, how did you scratch yeah, that itch? Yeah, I
1: did. I I start, Yeah, I did that, and then I started. You know, my uh, my school had a comedy sports team, and I really started just doing a lot of improv. I mean, I just was hanging out at comedy sports. Dan Harmon was there at the time, and Rob oh, yeah. Traub, and all these other guys, and um, and I really just hung out there. I mean, I was just around like you know, dudes who tour my age now when I was, like, 17, and I was just, like, you know, wa- thought they walked on water. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and just really, yeah, just be, I mean, really started doing performance there. Then in college started doing a lot of sketch and writing, and that kind of carried me to, uh, L.A. and the stand-up of
0: eventually. Okay. Now, didn't comedy sports have, like, actual clubs around the country, if I'm recalling correctly?
1: Yeah, they had, they, I, I they still have a ton. Okay. I mean, okay. They, um, yeah, they have, uh, they're all over the place. But yeah, the first one is in Milwaukee, but they do, they
0: have them all over. Oh, no, it started there. Okay, because I remember when yeah, I would, yeah. I used to write for a bunch of other papers before the economy crashed in 2008, and I would always try to look to see what was coming to all the different clubs, and I would always see that listed as a comedy club, but didn't. But it wasn't, there wasn't really any stand-up going on there, and I quickly realized, oh, that's something different. And so. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's, it's definitely different. I think a lot of people walk in, they're like, who's performing? You're like, you're about to see something weird.
0: So yeah, how does that work? Is it where, where is the sports part it, or is it is it just the sport of improv? Is that what the sport? I really never really understood. Never really interviewed anybody that, that had done it.
1: They basically made it competitive. So they basically made it of two teams playing against each other for points oh. in game
0: format. Oh, that's cool. So it was
1: essentially that they would reward people with points just you know whichever team was funniest out of the two. They played on Astro turf. you wore sweatpants, they tried to give it a sporty. You sang the national anthem before <laughs> you'd do a show. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. Interesting. So yeah. that that takes you to L.A. then, or did just, does the interest in improv take you to L.A.?
1: That took me to Boston, where I went to Emerson College. Okay. And then that took me to L.A.
0: Okay. And then at what point do you start to think that maybe stand-up might be a way to go?
1: Uh, I was getting very frustrated <laughs> with uh, certain aspects of my career and, um, and had a lot of friends who were stand-ups. I I'd been, I still was doing a lot of improv, a lot of sketch. I was um, you know, pursuing a, like a writing career at the time but it was you know, it was its own bag of problems and um, I just really wanted to do something that I could actually get reaction to because it felt like a lot of there's you know in LA and in entertainment there's a lot of stonewalling and there's just a lot of um other people who are involved in the things that you do and I you know the thing that was so appealing about stand-up was like I could write I could perform I could get reactions and I could do it for myself and um and it became you know like I think like most comics once you start and once you kind of break through the, the the pain threshold of you know having some rough shows to start
0: yeah you really
1: do you get kind of addicted and you get meticulous and um and that's just sort of you know that's what happened to me too you know it took it took some time but then eventually once you know once I had the opportunity to go on the road a lot I mean I really did I just realized like um you know the roads where you build, build the material and how much you really liked doing it you know
0: did you feel uh, better prepared going up your first time as a stand-up having you know had a lot of stage time doing improv or did you feel a little nervous because it was still kind of a, a little bit of a different discipline
1: a little bit both I definitely felt uh, you know I probably felt more comfortable standing on a stage than most people when they start um, doing comedy but but improv and stand-up are while I do see so many similarities now at the time like they were so vastly different to me and um, and I didn't really know how to write stand-up I didn't really know. I mean, I sort of knew, but I, again, I mean, you are like, like most comics say, like when you first get up there, you're kind of doing impressions of comics you like. I mean, that's kind of how you start. And so, um, you know, I was really was, I, I think I was, I was a little prepared, but I also was still, you know, I still had a lot of growing pain starting off with up.
0: And who kind of inspired you? Who, who did you kind of like look to to learn from just to get to those, those first few shows?
1: Um, I was very lucky because I had was friends with a, oh, I still am friends with a guy named Steve Byrne, who was a comedian. Oh, yeah.
0: I know Steve. been on the show many times. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he is a great, great person. And he was nice enough to sort of say, you know, we would worked on a TV show together. And he was like, you know, you really should pursue this. And he made it pretty easy for me in the sense that once I built up about 15 minutes on my own, he's like, you can come on the road, and, you know, do some gigs with me. And he... He held up that end of the bargain, and I ended up going on the road with him uh, on and off for like three years, and um, and really learned a lot from him, learned a lot about not just doing stand-up, but also how to be like a, like a good dude doing stand-up, um, but I mean, I really like, he is a road dog, and he is someone oh, yeah. who puts out a new hour pretty much every year, and so from watching him, I, I very much saw... I saw how to make how to how to do it well. Of course, I had to go up with my own version of that, but sure, um, he was very very in- inspirational.
0: Yeah, he is a super super nice guy.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a, That's what I mean. He's like just he's like a class vest, you know. So um, got to see the right way to to do it from him, I think.
0: And were, the show you were, were you, was that Sullivan and Sons that he was working on that, that you were on, or was it something else? No,
1: it was actually a, a terrible show from back in the day called The Real Wedding Crashers, which was <laughs> um, the brainchild of the people who did punk. Oh, jeez! you would go and ruin weddings with the permission of the bride and groom. And, um, and I, would, uh, I think it's safe to say the best thing that came out of that show was my friendship with Steve Burns. <laughs>
0: wow uh, yeah so what what did Steve do in that how did he get roped into it where was it was he a pro, a producer on it or was no we were but we were
1: both on it you would basically we were both like pranksters at these weddings oh, okay we would basically like you know go to a wedding and just muck stuff up and uh, and we were both performers on the show so we were you know he was he was more of a stand-up guy who had a little more experience and yeah. I was more of an improv guy a little more suited for you know riffing on the fly with strangers um but I think we both proved that uh, we weren't worthy of the concept. because <laughs> it
0: did not. The show was not well received. Ah, uh, did, did As you? As you
1: can tell by never having heard of it.
0: Right, right. You know, for some weird reason, it sounds familiar. But maybe I just think it sounds familiar because of the movie. And this doesn't seem like it doesn't seem surprising? Someone would think that's a good idea, given all the reality shows uh, that are on out there. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it... yeah. There are these guys I listen to on Radio 1 in Britain, and their new thing now is to go back and watch old uh, reality shows from the 90s, uh, from British TV, mostly. And one of the ones they're hooked on now is some something that takes place at Heathrow Airport in the 90s. And he goes, it's all about the airport in the 90s, and people were obsessed with it, and now we're re-obsessed with it. So it's weird how those things sometimes those things have legs. You never know. But, um, yeah,
1: no, it's true, for sure. I also think that UK reality shows have a uh, cachet that's... Uh, uh, for some reason, U.K. reality shows are a, a step above for me.
0: It's Well, you know what a good a foreign reality show is? It's the Australian version of Survivor. And it, oh, I know what you're talking about. It that. is so good. We watched uh, – well, there were, there's five seasons of it. The first tour with Australian celebrities, we didn't watch that. And then they took a break for a long, long time. And then they brought it back with this uh, permanent host. And then it's just actual Australian people. And the first thing we notice is Australians are so much nicer to each other than Americans are. Even when they get beat, they're like, "Ah, oh, mate, you know, guys, you got me. Good on you, mate. Yeah, oh. <laughs> good on you, mate. Right? <laughs> Crikey, I didn't see it coming, and they're Good also work, Mike. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yet they're fierce though because theirs last a lot. We're thirty-nine days in America; they go like fifty-two or fifty-four days on theirs, yeah. and they are tough. Yeah, so um, they're nuts. I they, go to
1: Australia maybe about once once a year on average now, and they are wild people.
0: Well, I've always heard um, that they're the, the my friend Jimmy Dore, the comedian you might know from being out in Los Angeles, he says, Australians are the last country that still like us. <laughs> he says one of his jokes. Pretty,
1: pretty fair to say, <laughs> yeah. And we're, and we're in a rush to burn that bridge,
0: too. Oh, I yeah. yeah. Tell me about it. Um, so what other uh, things do you have going is it apart from doing the stand-up, you said you have other vehicles for your, for your comedy, or are you pre- focusing on stand-up more so these days?
1: Right now, I'm very focused on stand-up because I'm doing an album uh, that I'm recording in August. So, um, you know, I, I have other stuff going on right now. But you know, when you're on the road, I mean, you are. It's hard to not be very focused on it. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, it's. It sort of seems like when you show up for a gig, you're just sort of like, yeah, your work starts at seven thirty. You know, you have two shows or or whatever, but. You know, you really are. I mean, when you're working on an album, you're listening to a lot of the sets, you're trying to rewrite jokes, you're doing a lot of that stuff. So I'm in the part right now where I think I'm very, very focused on on getting the hour, uh, you know, to the best place
0: possible. So where will the album be recorded? I'm going to record it in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. There you go. All right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, Yeah, that's a pretty good comedy scene there. Most college towns, you don't think as you know being particularly good but I, I know Madison uh, people really dig that club in fact I know some guys here from Cincinnati that uh, perform at that club a lot
1: yeah it's a, it's a great I mean being from Wisconsin you know it's it's kind of like it's nice on a couple levels but outside of that yeah it is a, it's a great club um, so I'm, I'm excited
0: so will folks and it'll
1: be, it'll be it'll be a nice relief when I'm done too I'll feel like oh thank God
0: So, well, folks uh, in Minnesota will be hearing a lot of probably what's going to be on the album, or stuff still get whittled down and taken out and put back in, or...?
1: No, this is very close to what it'll be. I mean, you know, there's there's certain parts that, you know, you're refining, and you're always, always kind of... I mean, that's one of the things that is kind of strange about recording, too, is that it really would... it could never be done if I wanted it to be. I mean, I could work on this forever and tweak it meticulously, but... Um it's down to pretty much small tweaks at this point. I mean, I pretty much know uh, everything, just there's there's certain little things. And, of course, I mean, you know, when you do live shows, there's things that happen, and some new jokes are birthed out of that anyway. But as far as my plan, I mean, I'm pretty close. I'm just trying to make it as, as
0: tight as possible. So um, for folks that maybe just only seen, you know, Bits of you on the internet here and there. and
1: me uh, the real wedding
0: clips. <laughs> exactly. What's a full set of years like? Is it uh, you know, things that happened to you? Is it uh, any current events? Is it slice of life? What, what kind of When you get to really stretch your legs and do the full hour, what kind of things can people uh, expect to hear about?
1: It's kind of all of that. I mean, you know, it is. I mean, I, I think there's, there's stories, there's observational stuff, there's topical stuff, there's um, stuff about my family, um, you know, I think it's a pretty good combo of, of all the things. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really is. It's You know, whatever has interested me and whatever has, you know, sometimes that's a story, sometimes that's talking about how upset I am with uh, how addicted I am to the NFL. It, it, it just kind of ranges like
0: that. Ooh, you're um, an NFL fan, Packers fan, I assume? That's correct. You and Tim Harmston, very good, excellent. Uh, yeah. my, and my, uh, my brother-in-law as a proper Packers fan, because all his family, yeah. even though we grew up in Cleveland, he's uh, he's from, his family's from up, uh, up way north there. So,
1: Well, I I know not to talk about the team too specifically on there, but last time I was there, I was there with Steve Byrne, and um, it was right before the new stadium opened, and we got to take a tour of it. And the guy who was giving us the tour, one of the main architects that, who designed it, He's like, you gotta wear hard hats as we go through here. And the hard hats have the Viking logo on them. So I had to put on a Viking—oh
0: my god—construction
1: helmet. And I was walking through there, and it was already like, you know, it's a little bit of a tough experience. When you know, Steve's taking pictures of me and stuff, in <laughs> fun of me. But then I just see in the distance this glorious green and gold construction helmet, and one of the workers would not play ball, and he had just stuck with his Packer helmet.
0: Nice. <laughs> in enemy <laughs> territory. That's funny. That's like me being forced to wear a Steeler hat for God's sake,
1: right? Terrible, right. Terrible.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So let me. I, I'm probably a little older than you, but like, you know, as you get older, uh, does your does your uh, interest or passion for the NFL has it waned at all over the years? And I guess I'm in a special situation being a, a Browns fan, but did it, or do you still have that that still that childlike love for it that you always had?
1: It's kind of both. I mean, I you know. I think I I am frustrated with the NFL as an organization in a lot of the things that they do and a lot of the ways that they um, handle you know honestly crisis. I just think they're they're mismanaged uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but I still can't I can't help you know the the amount that the that football and the the, the Packers mean to me. You know, like I have one tattoo. It's just the Packers. So, I um, I I have both. I really do. I mean, when I when the season starts, I mean, I'm in. You know, uh, I just wish that the NFL. You know, I, I read the other day that, you know, when they do the breast cancer awareness month, 90% of that profit that they make for that charity goes to the NFL. So I'm like, well, that's horrible. But I am also like not able to boycott because I am that
0: addicted to it. So it yeah, is what it is? It's t- I thought. Well, when the, the Browns, of course, have, have been terrible for the past couple of seasons, and I uh, the, heard about that. and they, yeah, oh, good lord, and <laughs> and and uh, the fact they've been terrible for, I really lost interest. And at the same time, the Indians have been really good. And, and of course, the Cavs won a championship in there, and then my hockey St. Louis Blues just won the Stanley Cup and have been pretty competitive. So, yeah, so of my four teams – oh, my God, I still can't believe that happened. Of my four teams, the Browns have performed poorly out of all of those. But then as soon as they start to get good, I'm like, it's starting to come back. But the one thing I can't can't get past with the NFL, and this is going to sound weird, the thing that sticks with me the most right now, my biggest beef, the Los Angeles Chargers. Interesting. Yeah. In what way? Well, I'm such a football historian and a football nut. Is like the Los Angeles Chargers is just wrong. Yes, I know they started there, right. but when they left in 1960 after one season in front of you well. know 300 fans in the Coliseum, I don't think anybody was you know whining about it. Plus, they still had the Rams, and for them to leave San Diego, you know, to, to come play in a town where people really don't care. Uh, they just want to see a football game. I think it's just tragic what was done to the... It, it's worse than what happened to right. the Browns, because at least the Browns, we fought and got our team back. But
1: I totally agree. Yeah, I, One of the things that is... A couple things. One is that, you're right, LA could not give a shit about the Chargers. They really don't. I mean, it's very crazy. Um, and then I... The other thing is... They they really were beloved in San Diego. Like I I've started seeing I've probably seen three or four Charger games in San Diego since I've been out here. And they, you know, whatever you say about how the fans are as human beings or whatever, they that they were they loved that team. Yes. And having done stand up in San Diego since they've left and making jokes about it, I think it's safe to say they are still church. They are like not over it, they're still pissed.
0: Oh absolutely. And I think the reason that the, you know, I was always wondering, well, why don't, you know, they're temporarily playing in that soccer stadium. I'm thinking that's not an accident. That's not just a, they could perfectly well play in the Coliseum too. Yeah. Because. Yeah. But um, they don't want to because they're afraid no one's going to show up, and they hope. That, I guess they're gambling that if after two or three years, once they get that new ballpark built, that there'll be enough people that just want to see an NFL game, and all the Rams fans will take all the uh, season tickets that you know they'll have a chance of scooping up the leftovers, kind of you know like the Raiders used to.
1: Well, as a resident of Los Angeles, let me tell you, we're all very excited to have more traffic.
0: <laughs> good oh my God, we were just out there, and I told uh, my podcast a couple of weeks ago that you hear about it on TV, and I was out there 20 years ago, and I'm like, yeah, you think of You don't really realize what that yeah. traffic is like until you are in it. Now, weirdly, yeah. Orange County wasn't too bad where we were staying. It's about what I expected. Actual Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah,
1: if you have to come to L.A. from Orange exactly. County, you may as well exactly.
0: carry a pistol. Yeah, yeah. And my sister-in-law was navigating, and no, this is not even an exaggeration for comedy. How far is where we're going? Nine miles. How long will it take? 55 minutes. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. That's yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> the, I, there are many times where I look at the miles and the minutes, and I'm like, this can't
0: be real. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, thank goodness for Waze and all those uh, navigation things, but still, I mean.
1: Well, now you have with Waze, you have like, especially in like LA, like you're going over hills, you're going on these side streets. And yeah. You've got all these rich people in the hills now who are sort of like, God damn it, people know about our streets. <laughs> you know? Like they have, some people are holding signs when you drive by, like, slow down. <laughs>
0: It was nice, though. We did get to see a lot of, like, different residential areas, which was kind of nice coming from the Midwest to kind of see all this different oh, yeah. sort of architecture. So I guess it had its advantage. It was kind of like a, a slow-moving uh, sightseeing tour uh, that we it's took.
1: like a cannonball run in traffic.
0: <laughs> right, in reverse. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you taking the time today. This was uh, a lot of fun. I uh, hope we'll get you down here in Cincinnati sometime soon as well. And yes, um I hope so. yeah. And uh good luck with the album certainly. Um you probably would hope to have that out by the end of the year, I reckon.
1: Yeah, right around there, yeah. So cool. Like to...
0: Well, great, man. Yeah,
1: well, thank you, P. I really appreciate it. Nope,
0: no no problem. Go, Go Packers. The uh, enjoy the season this year. And uh, uh Yes.
1: And good luck to your Browns. Hopefully that... they don't uh, cr- crush your heart.
0: I'm the... Here's 19th the
1: thing season in a row.
0: I'm telling people everywhere that I'm the the money should be on who's gonna break their leg first, Baker Mayfield or Odell Beckham. One of those guys is well, gonna go down. I,
1: you know what I'm rooting for, and I actually put money on them running into each other
0: and breaking their legs together. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. the, that's the even odds right now in Vegas. All right, man, that's thanks great. a lot. All right, bud. All right, thank, thank you. Bye bye. Thanks to Gareth Reynolds for being on the show. You can catch Gareth, let's see where, at, uh, we can catch him at the, uh, Crocodile presents Gareth Reynolds, and that's, let um, me see, at the Fremont Abbey Arts Center. I don't know where that's at. I'm gonna reckon Fremont in California, but if you go to GarethReynolds.com, you can get all of your Gareth Reynolds information that you may need. We're gonna skip right ahead to the song of the week here, because we're running low on time, uh, song of the week is from the Ocean Blue, the new album Kings and Queens, Nates and Thieves is out, came out, I believe? June 20th, first day of summer. And we played one track from it. We're going to play another track from it. This is called Paraguay, My Love. It is not slated to be a single, oddly, uh, though it's the best track on the album, so that makes it my song of the week. Uh, They're going to be touring in the... Actually, I think they're touring now. I'm going to see them in the fall, late fall in Chicago, uh, whilst uh, Liza and my wife go see Ratboy at the club next door, although they're both owned by the same people. It's really kind of strange. But Ocean Blue are turning up the same night as Ratboy, so we'll, uh, of course, give you a full report on that come November. Meanwhile, like I said this is our song of the week. It's Paraguay My Love The Ocean Blue, PS tape recorder So long and thanks for listening